You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. If we could move back to our seats, uh, that'd be wonderful. Um, If we've not met, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's nice to meet you and great to have you uh, with us, worshiping uh, with us today. We are going through a book called 1 Thessalonians. It's a a book in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, and today we are in chapter uh, 2. Uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through the end of the chapter. So if you have a Bible, turn there or turn on your device. Uh, If you don't, then uh, there's one under the seat in front of you, and if you turn to page 574, uh, you'll find where we are, and you'll be able to read along with us. So today, as Rob mentioned and Caleb mentioned, um, we do celebrate 14 years together as a church and uh, what a joy it is to be a part of this church. It's just been a profound privilege for my wife, Ginger, and I to be a part of uh, this church from the beginning, and just to watch what God has done, and, and most of all, to be uh, in relationship with you. Some of you have been around a long time. Some of you are really new, um, but it's wonderful to be uh, with you. And today, rather than preaching sort of an anniversary sermon, next year's 15, so that's kind of a big one, I guess, 10, 15, so we'll probably do a little bit more and it'll be a little different. Uh, Maybe I'll uh, do something specifically for the occasion there. But today, we're just going to continue where we are, and part of that is because I think this text we're about to look at really fits well, because in it, Paul is expressing his heart for the church in Thessalonica. He's explaining why he's been away from them. It's a new church. We've already read um, about, uh, as we've studied this, we've read about how these people met the Lord, met the Lord Jesus Christ, and then Paul had to leave rather quickly because there was a persecution happening in the area, and uh, they were a fledgling church. Now he's writing them probably less than a year later, so it's a really new church, and we saw how they believed in Christ, and their story went viral. Other people heard about it. Uh, We saw how Paul and his team brought the gospel to them and gave their lives. They, they not only spoke a message, but they offered and shared their very lives. And so we saw how this idea of public faith is a faith, that, a, a faith in Christ that affects us personally, but through our testimony, through our uh, words of explaining who Jesus is, we are to tell others, and we're also to live a life that reflects that. It's both life and words that go forth into our networks of relationships and the various places God has placed us to be a witness for Him. So we're talking about that theme kind of all year, and it's shown up a fair bit already in the book of Thessalonians. So uh, let's start with uh, verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 20. This is God's Word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. 
For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last." But since we were torn from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Well, as you read this passage, uh, maybe you picked up a little bit on, uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to give you an outline, but when I was studying this week, this was the real outline, I thought. Uh, Point one, great verses for an anniversary service. Point two, very hard to explain, and if taken out of context, almost looks anti-Semitic. Point three, really great verses for an anniversary sermon. There is nothing anti-Semitic in the passage, but uh, if it was taken on its own, uh, people have used similar language inappropriately throughout church history uh, to uh, oppose and even unfairly hate Jewish people. So that's not Paul's heart. That's not what this passage is about. But on first reading, uh, it could appear without explanation, wow, what's going on there? But that's not the outline I'm going to use. I'm going to use a different outline. And so here's point one. Thank God for people who receive his word. Thank God for people who receive his word. That's Paul's first idea. Verse 13, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul has probably been gone for less than a year. He's writing to encourage and to strengthen this fledgling church as they are faithfully serving Jesus in the here and now while they await his return. And his return gets mentioned in this passage. And what he's doing is he is commending this church. He's saying, I remember you, and here's something I remember about you. And he really holds up a value. And by commending this value, we learn something because we learn what really matters to the Lord about a local church, for one thing. You know, it's true that in a family or in a business, um, I suppose on a sports team or in a local church, uh, what the leaders commend becomes a value of the people. It's just, it just happens that way. If, if certain things are highlighted, if certain people are recognized, if certain actions are sort of rewarded and honored, then those become the things in the culture that everybody says, these are our values. You can have a mission statement, you can have our five values that nobody remembers, but what really matters is what do you commend? What do you hold up? Who do you honor? What do you reward? Those are the implicit uh, sort of true values of an organization. And so here, what Paul is doing is he is commending a value that matters in this church that we want uh, as a value that we want to aspire to, 
as well. He says, I thank God for you constantly. So if he's thanking God for us, Thessalonians, they would be thinking, if he's thanking God for us, what is it? What is it this thing that means so much? What is it this thing that you're thanking God for? And this is what he says, what I thank God, what we thank God for is that you received the message of the gospel. And when you received it, you didn't receive it as a message of man. You didn't receive it as a human theory. You received it as the very word of God. What we thank God for is when you heard the message of Jesus Christ, you resonated with it because you said, we hear God speaking. When you heard the gospel, you didn't treat it as one philosophy among many. We know they worshiped a lot of gods. You didn't hear the message of the gospel and say, oh, okay, Jesus, that's one more God. We'll just put him up here with all of our other gods and welcome, there's room for one more, we'll welcome him into our, uh, you know, polytheistic worldview. No, you heard this, and it says in in chapter 1, verse 9, that they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you, Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You heard this message, and you were like, this is God speaking to us. We're turning from all of these other beliefs, and we're going to worship the one true living God. Why did that happen? Because when you heard the message, you said, we hear the voice of God, not one more self-help idea, one more philosophy. And not only that, but when you heard the message, you turned your life over to Jesus. That would have been amazing enough. But what also happened is that you you are allowing the Word of God to continue to work in you. Look what he says. You received it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers, which is present at work. So you you received this, you heard from us, you accepted, those all happened in the past when he brought the gospel. But currently, up to a year later, it's still at work within you. So this is powerful. What he's saying is, we, we honor you for receiving the word of God. We're grateful to God for that. It's still having its effect in you. It didn't just change you initially, but it sustained you. No human message can impart spiritual life. No human message can awaken you to conversion. No human message can sustain you, but the Word of God can. The message of God. Of all the things to highlight about a fledgling church, I mean, I'm sure he could have said all kinds of stuff. But this is what he highlights. When we think of you, we thank God. Because when you hear the Word of God, you treat it as it it really is. The Word of God is what he says. You accepted it for what it is. You've left a life worshiping many gods, and you've turned to the one true God. Listen, accepting the Word of God for what it really is, that's his words, the Word of God, accepting it for that, that is the foundation for a personal conversion. And that is the foundation for a living church as well. When a church begins to slide away from God, we see this in the New Testament. 
Uh, we see this throughout church history. But when a church begins to slide away from God, to sort of lose its distinctiveness, and to slide right on where they blend in and are indistinguishable from the culture, sliding away from God, sliding into the culture, the first thing to go is always this, the Word of God. It's not hearing the Word of God as the authoritative message from God, but hearing it as a word from man. Well, that, you know, that's just sort of a historic thing. Well, that's all they knew at that time. Well, basically, we're sophisticated now, so we know things that they didn't uh, know then. Um, and, and begin to minimalize, or minimize rather, to minimize this as the Word of God. I remember one time I was talking with a guy a number of years ago, <clears throat> and we were talking about a social issue. He was a professing Christian, and so we were talking about a social issue, and um, so I just shared with him, you know, I wasn't trying to be beat people over the head with the Bible or be Bible man or something, but I just shared with him a verse in the conversation. I was saying, well, you know, um, this, there's this verse that says this, and he was a Christian, so we were, you know, dialoguing, and his response was, oh, well, that's just Paul. That, that's just Paul. So he heard the verse as the word of a man and nothing more. And so why is Paul's opinion more valuable than anybody else's? He didn't hear it as the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that when I say we need to hear the word of God as the word of God, I'm not saying that we understand it all. There's a point in this sermon where I'm going to tell you I don't know what that means. Um, and I'm not going to lay out all the options of what it could mean or what scholars think. But I, there's a place to say, I don't know what that means. That will happen in this sermon. There, there's a place to wrestle with Scripture and say, man, that's just not very clear. I would say there's even a place for a genuine, true believer in Jesus Christ to say, I read that Scripture and I sort of don't even like it because I don't. it presses against me. I, I sort of... I mean, I sort of even disagree with that idea. And that shouldn't be surprising at one level. If the Bible doesn't press against you, if you never read a text that go, wow, that's kind of uncomfortable, or that stretches me, or that pokes me, or that doesn't fit into my current way of thinking, if you don't ever read the Bible like that, then you're probably your own God. The truth is that it's written by God whose ways aren't our ways and whose thoughts aren't our thoughts. So we should expect pokings, we should expect pushback. If you don't think God ever pushes back on your ideas, that might be like the most arrogant concept in the universe, that God would never push back on my ideas. God is true. God is authoritative. He says, my ways are not uh, like your ways. I would expect that when we read the Bible, some of it's hard to understand at points. Some of it we have to wrestle with. Some of it we go, wow, that's not the way I think. And there's a pushback on all that. But you can do all of that and still be submitted to the Word of God. It's one thing to say that's the Word of man. It's another thing to say, I'm not sure I understand that. I'm not sure that makes me feel warm and cozy because it goes against my cultural ideal. But I bow my knee and say, this is the Word of God. I'm submitted to God. And so I will take it at face value and trust Him that it will become clearer. And if I never get it, I'll get it when I see Him face to face. That's saying, I'm hearing the Word of God as the Word of God, not that I get it all. 
It's saying, I hear it as the word of God, and I'll wrestle with it and learn it and study it and bow my knee and say, this is the word of God. This is the authority. Not the opinions of the culture which change, not the latest evangelical fad which will be here today and gone tomorrow, but this is the enduring word of God. Paul says in 2 Timothy that this word is God-breathed. So, to the guy I was talking with at that point that I described earlier, it's not just Paul. It's Paul writing with Paul's thoughts and Paul's personality, inspired by the very God-breathed presence of the Lord who produces the Word that He wants through the human uh, instrument of Paul. It's God-breathed. And so we must read it and consider it and meditate on it and wrestle with it, live by it, submit to it, obey it, as what it is, that's what he says, as what it is, the Word of God. Show, show a person, show me a person, or a church, or a denomination, or a Christian institution, or any, anyone. Show me any individual or institution that has drifted away from orthodoxy, and I'll show you people who have changed their functional view of the Word of God. It always happens. It's the wisdom of man takes precedence over the wisdom of God. And Paul highlights this as an example. Paul says, when I think about you guys, I say, thank you, Jesus, that when they heard the Word, they said, that's God speaking. That's God speaking. As we mark 14 years of life together as a church today, if I can take a little bit of liberty Um, I'm not going to pull anything out of context, but if I could take Paul's words and apply them here uh, to us, this is exactly how the pastors at Grace Church, who are not apostles, but the pastors of Grace Church feel about you. This is exactly how we feel, that we thank God for you as a church. Because when you read the Scripture and see the Scripture, you relate to it as the Word from God. And we are so grateful that you accept the Scripture for what it really is, the Word of God. You are people, you are a church that loves to sing songs that reflect the Word of God. You love to respond to the Word of God preached. You love to apply the Word of God in the community groups. You love to study the Word of God with others. And it's just absolutely one of the most exciting things about being a part of this church. We have a lot of weaknesses. Weaknesses I know about and weaknesses I don't know about and blind spots uh, that maybe you see that, that I don't. So we've got our problems. We've got our weaknesses for sure. We're very a very human church. But I would say this, that the great joy of being a part of this fellowship is that when I interact with various people in our church, there is this leaning forward to receive the Word of God. And I, as Paul thanks God for that, I want you to know we thank God for that as well. It is a high privilege. I I absolutely love what I do. And thanks for letting me do it, and I hope you'll let me do it, uh, you know, a lot more years. But it is a high privilege to teach the Word of God on a pretty regular basis here and to know that folks are leaning in. 
And I want you to know, I don't, I'm sinful and I, I, I worry about what people think about me and how I look and how I come off and like everybody else. But here's something I never worry about. I mean, this, I hope it doesn't start this week. This is never a temptation to me. I just don't worry about this. I don't worry about if I get up here to teach the word and I'm going to teach something that is going to challenge you and me or I'm going to teach something that flies in the face of culture or I'm going to teach something that flies in the face of evangelical subculture. I don't ever get up here worried about, oh no, people may may not receive this. It may be a hard text. We're about to, in like, two minutes start talking about a hard text. It may be a hard text, but I feel like if I can understand it enough to point to it in the text and say, here's the text, I feel like here's the church. You show it to me in the text, I'm in. I'm all in. And, and that is a privilege to be able to teach people who are leaning in that way, as opposed to, well, if I say what the Bible says, my, says my inbox is going to be filled up Monday morning with people complaining about this, that, and the other. Thank you for receiving the Word of God, not because it makes my teaching job easier, not because of that, but because it honors the Lord that we hear His Word as it really is. I don't take that for granted. We don't take that for granted that you want to be counseled by the Word. You want to sing songs in line with the Word. You want to go to a small group and relate with people around the Word. Thank you for being that kind of people. Number two, thank God for people who endure by his word. Thanks, thank God for people who receive his word as his word. And thank God for people who endure by his word. Now, he doesn't use the word endure, but if you look here, you'll see this is the connecting point. Uh, you receive the word as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Verse 14, four, so when we see four there, he's going to be telling us a further explanation of what he's just said. So you receive the word of God as it is, which is at work in you, and here's how it's at work in you, brothers and sisters. You became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, the Word of God, you not only received it as the Word of God, but you're continuing in the Word of God. And you are experiencing suffering just like the churches did in Judea. Well, who are the churches in Judea? Judea, this is the area around Jerusalem. These are the original Christian churches. And so before we get into the language, it's a little bit harder to understand. Let's set the context. What is Paul doing here? He's encouraging people who have been suffering. And how's he encouraging them? He's saying, your suffering is just like the suffering of the first Christians. Very different context, but your suffering is the same as theirs. How is that? You came to be imitators, verse 14, of churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. You suffered the same things, here's the key, from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So he's saying that when you received the Lord, you got resistance, pushback, persecution. Who persecuted you? You were persecuted by your own countrymen. That's what happened in the early church. The very first church, they were Hebrew Christians. They were persecuted by their fellow Jews. You were persecuted by your neighbor and your family who worshiped other gods. You left all these other gods to follow God. Well, guess what? All those idolaters, they pushed back on you. 
Just like perhaps the Jewish father who didn't believe in Jesus wasn't excited when his son went and followed Jesus, so your idolatrous father who worshipped Zeus wasn't happy when you got rid of all your gods and went to follow Jesus. So he's making this point of comparison because when you suffer, sometimes it's very encouraging to, go, to know, hey, this isn't because there's something wrong with me and I'm not the first person to experience this. I'm not alone. He's saying, you're not alone. The early churches were the same way. So whatever the verses about the Jews killed Jesus means, whatever that means, it has to be in the context of Paul encouraging people to say, just as your own folk resisted you, so the first Christians' own folk resisted them. That's the whole point. And so that's why he says uh, the, the early Jewish Christians um, were rejected by their own, by their, by, they were rejected by the Jews. Now, if you look at the Jews, um, I don't believe our pulpit, our, I'm sorry, our uh, pew Bibles, I don't believe that they are annotated, but most uh, most of the ESV translations are annotated. That means they'll have little numbers up top and you can look at the bottom of the page and they'll tell you something about the translation. So this word can also mean this. So we translated it this way, but we want you to know, footnote, it could mean this. And so they do that on the Jews. They say the Greek word translated Jews can refer to Jewish leaders and others under their influence who opposed the Christian faith at that time. So this word can mean the Hebrew people, or it could refer to Jewish leaders. So when he says the first Christians were persecuted by Jews, is he saying that all Jews were opposed to Christians? Well, no, he's, he would view himself as Jewish. He would be a Jewish person, Paul, uh, ethnically a Jew, who has trusted the Messiah, Jesus, as his Lord. So it certainly wouldn't include, well, it would include, he did actually persecute them at first, Saul did, but it wouldn't include him now. So it's either a subset of the Jews who are religious leaders, or he's speaking broadly. They killed both the Lord Jesus and his prophets. Now, if you read the Jews killed Jesus, if you read that on a wingnut, far-right, crazy blog, that's anti-Semitic. They're trying to blame Jesus uh, about, I mean, they're trying to blame the Jews out of hatred for a people, out of, um, out of judgment, bigotry, and judgment upon a, 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 a religious people. They're saying, hey, let's blame them with killing the Jews. Throughout the history, that has been something that has surfaced. Uh, it was part of Nazi propaganda. So that has surfaced in the history uh, of the world. But what Paul is doing is not that. That's not a nut job uh, sort of website. That is, that is Paul speaking as an insider, and he's speaking in line with the Hebrew tradition. You can read multiple places in the Old Testament, Elijah says this, other people say this, where a prophet says, hey people, my people, my people, you've resisted your own prophets and killed them. Jesus says, you have resisted the prophets and killed them. This is the prophetic tradition of the Hebrew Bible. Paul, as an insider, is doing nothing more than saying what prophets all over the Old Testament have said. People, I'm pleading with you to turn back to Yahweh, God, and don't resist his prophets any longer. So what he's saying here is not anti-Semitic. Obviously, we know that Romans nailed Jesus to a cross, and we know that ultimately we're all responsible. It was our sin that was placed upon Jesus. So responsibility is not purely Jewish elsewhere in Scripture. It's broader. 
He says that you drove us out and that you displease God. That's a pretty strong statement. The Jews all displease God is what it looks like he's saying. Well, that's not a social or an ethnic statement. I believe that's a theological statement. And the truth is that what pleases God, Paul uses this phrase, please God, numbers of times in his letters. Whenever we see that, pleasing God is receiving and believing and recognizing in the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So you can displease God as a Gentile or as a Jew if you resist the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his whole point about what pleases God. What pleases God is receiving his Savior. So that's not uh, specifically a, a, you know, a harsh statement either. And oppose all mankind. Now that sounds harsh. The Jews oppose everybody. That's what it sounds like. But look at he defines it. By, how do they oppose all mankind? By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, you, your actions, when I go preach the gospel to the Gentiles and the Jews resist me and make it difficult, what they're doing is that they are ultimately opposing the Gentiles because what I'm bringing to them is good news from God. I'm bringing something good, but you're opposing not only us, the preachers, you're opposing them from receiving what is ultimately good in Jesus Christ. So he's saying their persecution of stopping him from preaching the gospel is a way of opposing uh, the world, meaning the Gentile world when I say it that way. And the next verse, I can tell you where, where a reference is. I cannot tell you what it means. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. He's speaking about the Hebrew people. What is this? So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. That is a phrase, a very similar phrase is used in Genesis 15, 16, where, where the Bible says that the Amorites were a people who sinned and sinned and sinned, and finally there was a like a breaking point, and God judged them. And so there's a principle in the Bible that God is patient, and people sin and sin and sin, but there's at some point where it fills up the measure of their sin and judgment comes. That'll come to everybody ultimately, eternally, who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. So what does it mean that wrath has come on the Jews? It's present tense. Wrath has come upon them at last. I don't know. There's a lot of ideas about that. what that means, and I'm going to tell you I don't know and not camp on that phrase for right now. So you can see what he is, uh, he is communicating here. He is saying, look, the big idea, the big point is this. Just as early Christians who were Jewish were opposed by their own people, so you are being opposed by your own people. Paul loves the Jewish people. In, in, uh, he is one. In, in uh, Romans 9 through 11, he says the most shocking statement of love imaginable. He says, I would personally be condemned if it would mean that all of Israel would be saved. How could you be more loving than that? I mean, that is the ultimate statement of love. So the point is he's pastorally caring for these people and saying, you are not alone. Others have been opposed by friends and family as well but God's word is at work in you, sustaining you. So here are the points. Thank God for people who receive his word. Thank God for people who endure with his word, even when those closest to you are opposing you. God's, work is, God's word is at work in you, Paul says. And here's the last point. It's not parallel. Uh, the last point is such people are a joy. Thank God for people who love his word. Thank God for people who endure by his word because those people are a joy. 
Paul remembers these precious people and their response to God's word and their ongoing trust in his word as they endure opposition. And then he transitions and speaks very personally to them. He says, since we were torn away from you because of the persecution, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart. Yeah, we were physically removed, but no one took our heart. I left my heart in Thessalonica. A new song, new biblical song. Uh, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We had to leave town, but our heart stayed there, and now we want to see you face to face. And a lot of times I tried to come. I have tried, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. How did Satan hinder them? He doesn't say right here. But there was some kind of spiritual opposition that God allowed that ultimately um, hindered them from coming back, some circumstance. When it says Satan hindered us, uh, I'm assuming that some satanically inspired uh, sort of circumstance that made it impossible for them to get back, whatever that was. So he says, I want you to know, I thank God for you, and you're our joy. I miss you. And then he goes into this lofty language about what it means that they are his joy. He says, verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you, for you are our glory and our joy? Hey, Thessalonians, you're our joy. And when the Lord returns, we're all waiting on his return. And when we return and he returns and we stand before him, you know what our great joy is going to be? Obviously, it's going to be Jesus. Elsewhere, he says, I don't boast in anything but Christ and him crucified. But in that moment, he's also going to boast not only in Jesus, but in the work of Jesus. And he says, our boast, our joy is going to be to look at you there. And we're going to say, Lord Jesus, look at what you've done. We're so thankful that you saved these people out of idolatry and brought them to yourself. And that even when they were persecuted, they kept on. They believed the word of God as the word of God. And when it got hot, they didn't run. They just pressed on with the word of God. And that gives us great joy because that's your work, Lord. At the return of Jesus, he's not going to be celebrating you know, the, uh, the uh, Thessalonians' themselves in any way, like, you're great. Hey, Lord, there you are, and that's good, but have you seen the Thessalonians? He's not, that's not what he means. He means to say, Lord, you're glorious, and here's an example. These folks are with us because of you, and they bring us great joy. They're our crown. What does that mean? That's a reward. They, Lord, our reward is being in eternity with these people that we got to preach the gospel to. It's enough to see you and to be together with your believers. That's our reward. That's our glory. That is our joy. What a wonderful way of expressing his love for this church. Now, mostly, almost every verse that Paul writes, when I read it, as a pastor, I don't say, I'm just like Paul. The pastors in this church do not feel like we are just like Paul. Uh, we read him and we go, he, uh, he writes better than we could, he preaches better than we could, he evangelizes better than we do, he loves better than we do, um, he's a better leader than we are, he's bolder than we are, he's been to the third heaven, and we've been to Texas, but not the third heaven. Uh, he, uh, he, he's writing the Bible 
we're just jotting out a few emails. So we, we look at Paul and go, we are not like Paul. But on this passage, I would say the pastors in this church, we would look at this and go, we get that. We're kind of like Paul on this one. We, we could say, I get that because we really feel that this church is our joy in the appropriate way. The Lord's ultimately our joy, but you are a joy. And I want to communicate that on our 14th anniversary. I don't say it enough, but I want to communicate that we thank God for you because you receive the word of God as the word of God and you live in the power of the word of God. And so in our role, we get to get a front row seat to watch God at work in people's lives as you invite us in. And this happens all over the church. You, you view this in one another as well. As, we, as you invite us in to, in your highs and your lows of life. And we do the same. As we walk together, we get a window into lives. And here's what we see. I regularly see in this church, sinful people, yes. Flawed people, yes. I am one. But I regularly see people in this church that are trusting the word of God in the midst of suffering. And people that have great disappointment in their hearts, but they're pressing in on God. And people that lose a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent, and they don't give up on God. They lean into the word of God in their grief. I see that. And it's a joy to be with people like that. I see people in our church that experience severe setbacks. They lose their job. Something happens unfair or unjust in their work. Their health crumbles. They suffer in their marriage. Maybe even their marriage crumbles. Something happens with their children that is a deep heartache. And rather than give up on God. They receive the word of God as the word of God. They go to the scripture, they trust the word, and they press on. And it is a joy to be in a community where people, I see that all the time. Uh, Week in, week out. I, I see people who step up and serve practically to meet needs, and I don't even know very many of those. I mean, I do know quite a bit, but I, I just know the tip of the iceberg. People caring for people in their small group providing practical things, something as small as babysitting someone's kids who has a need, or something as big as providing a car for a single mom that doesn't have one. I've seen all that kind of stuff, people caring for one another because of the Word of God, because we're joined together in Christ. So thank you. Thank you for reaching out to your neighbors and co-workers, some of whom who now know Jesus and are part of this church, or maybe a part of a different church. But thank you for reaching out. I was thinking about, you know, being a part of a church is not all glamour. Actually, very little of it's glamorous. Um, to be honest, it's just regular people. And we are so, we, we're so hyper-stimulated in this culture. Like, if it's not exciting, if it's not incredible, if it's not off the charts, if it doesn't get 50 likes as a post, it, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, that's just not the church. Life in the church is just not nonstop excitement, and we're not trying to pull out all the bells and whistles and uh, lights, camera, action to make it feel that way. It's just not always. I mean, a lot of it is just day by day trudging along. I'm just telling you the truth here. 
being a part of a church, it's not like, there's not a church in history that has gone year after year after year after decade after decade in nonstop revival. Those come and go. There are seasons that are mountaintop. They're like, wow, this is like heaven on earth. But those are seasons, and they're usually short-lived. So being a part of a church isn't like nonstop, spiritual, refreshing. Wow. (laughs) It's not. It's like real life. So one of the highlights is to see people who receive the Word of God as the Word of God, that when, when life is spiritually feels dry, they just continue one step in front of another. I'm still serving. I'm still giving. I'm still preferring others over myself. I'm still trying to share with my neighbor or my family member who does not receive the Lord. I'm still praying for that same thing again, and it still hasn't been answered, and I'm just pressing on. There are times when that's how it feels. It just doesn't feel like a joyous second. It just feels like, you know what, we're just sort of pressing on. But it's faithfulness in those seasons where I receive the Word of God as the Word of God and says, the Lord says this is bringing honor and glory to Him to invest my life in His kingdom. I don't see that every moment, but I'm trusting it's the Word of God which says He's honored in this way. And I'm going to take joy in being part of His purposes, walking out His commands through His Scripture by His grace. I love, I love to watch that and experience that. If you're part of the church, you get a front row seat to watch God work through the highs and the lows of those we're in community with. And I experience that with you. It's the Word of God which brings the miracle of conversion and the miracle of endurance and the miracle. Hey, it's a miracle we're here celebrating 14 years because the reality is, as, as Caleb said during communion, we don't gather here because we all have the same tastes, the same background, we're all the same race, we're all the same socioeconomic, uh, you know, group. Uh, we all live in the same neighborhood. We all like the we all like the same, you know, uh, arts. We're all into the same things. We all have the same preferences. Absolutely not. The miracle is that many of us are together and friends. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be friends. But why are we together? Because the word of, we heard the word of God, and it wasn't a human philosophy. It pierced our heart. It gave us new life. It threw us into this messy thing called the church. It, we built our lives together as family, and that's our joy. With all the warts, all the sins, all the bruises, all, all, you know, it's the joy. It's the joy. That's what he says, all because of the gospel. So in this verse, oh, I'm like Paul. And you won't hear me say that, but once every 10 years, I don't know, uh, in, this, in, this, in, in the pulpit. But your pastor's like Paul, and I trust you're like Paul too on this one. When I consider the people of God who believe the word of God, it is a joy to me. And I will stand before the Lord and say, Lord, you are my joy and your work in your people by your word through your gospel is an eternal joy. May it be. May that be the case for the next 14 years. And 14 years from now, I hope I'm still here doing this. I don't have a plan to go anywhere else uh, except heaven. I'm not, I don't plan to go to another church or something like that. But uh, I, if I'm still here in 14 years and I'm still doing this, or if it's someone else, I just pray that 14 years from now, the joy that we celebrate as Christ among a people who heard the Word of God as the Word of God and applied it as a message from God 
not a message from man. May it be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for the joyful privilege of 14 years together as a church. And Lord, for those of us who've been around the whole ride, there have been some high highs and there have been some low lows. There's been some great celebration and some great heartache, but the thing we confess is that you have always been with us, and we thank you, our God, that your word has remained true, and we thank you that not only has your word still true to us and always will be, but you've preserved the heart of this fellowship around the word and under the word. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us from your word, and we've heard it, not as the word of men, not as the latest self-help tip, not as a philosophical guru coming in to tell everybody what to do, but we've heard it as the word of God. Thank you for speaking, our great God. And now we return to you, and we return with a song of praise, a prayer to you, and ask that you would continue to preserve us, our great God, for all that you have done in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together, and uh, we will sing. You are worthy. You are. 
That's our prayer, isn't it? Lord, glorify your name through us. Whatever comes, would you please glorify your name through us? That's our heart. Uh, if you're new here, if you go out the back door and to the right, we have a Connect Center. We'd love to give you a gift of a book there. Just greet you, say hello, and uh, get to know you a little bit, answer any questions uh, that you might have. Uh, if you'd like to have a longer conversation with us, uh, then we would invite you uh, to come to our picnic, whether you're new or been around forever. Uh, we'd love to have you at the picnic. We're going to be at Little Elm Park, um, and we're going to be there. You can come anytime from one to five. Uh, and so I think there's a map for that or something. Do you know about that, Robert? Yeah, there it is. So we're going to be at the volleyball court pavilion area of the park. Um, so there's the address, and you can just map it, I'm sure. So we'll be there uh, from 1 to 5, just an opportunity to hang out. If you weren't here at the beginning when Rob made announcements, uh, because I guess, there's, I'm, I'm understanding it's not muddy or whatever, but because the ground had some level of moisture or whatever, the inflatable company that brings out inflatables, bounce houses, and we always have some kind of things for the adults to do uh, that is inflatable, uh, they said they can't come, they won't come because of the ground being too wet from the rain. So we don't have those, uh, and, uh, but that's okay because you can bring uh, footballs or frisbees or well, volleyball, and it's like kids on a rainy day just have a conversation. So we'll just talk and we'll get to know one another and uh, we won't do bounce house, but maybe there'll be less injuries. There's always something broken at the church picnic, some body part broken. So uh, maybe this will be the safest picnic in the history of Grace Church. So we'll do that. Please come out this afternoon at three o'clock. We'll sort of cut a cake and that'll be the celebration that moment, but come anytime that you would like. Okay, I'm going to send you out with a traditional blessing. Uh, we call this part of the service a benediction. Benediction literally means good word. It's a good word. It's a blessing to go into the week with. And uh, so I'm going to use one of the most traditional blessings, benedictions in all the Bible. This comes out of number six. So receive this, not as the words of man, but as the very word of God over your life right now going into this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. May it be for the next 14 years as well as we celebrate anniversary. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.